this week, I was, um, for lunch, I was making myself a ham sandwich, and the uh, Dijon mustard was my condiment of choice, and uh, the bottle was almost empty. Now, have you seen, they've got these plastic, you know, bottles, and, you know, they're almost empty, but there's still stuff on the side, you know, or there's still chunks, there's still things, and... You know, me being me, it's like, I can't just get rid of it. I got I to gotta try and, and reclaim as much as possible. So I put a little bit of water in it, you know, a tablespoon of water, and I shook it up, you know. And, and so what, what happened, though, is that instead of like, what I, I now had this creamy coating on the entire inside of my bottle. I didn't have any more I could shake out. It was all stuck to the side still. And I'm like, oh, that didn't quite work. It, you know, it did to some extent, but it didn't quite work. And so I thought, well, maybe if I heat it up a bit, okay? You know, so I put, you know, so close it back up, and you have it upside down because you want it to run out because that's where the thing is. So I put it in the microwave. Um, let me ask you this. What is the proper amount of time for a plastic bottle in the microwave? Okay? <laughs> I can tell you what it's not. <laughs> it's not 10 seconds. Um, and so I put it in, I set it for 10 seconds, and the counter's timing down, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2. And when it hit one, the bottle exploded. And there was mustard. All that mustard that was coating inside of the bottle was not coating all six sides of my, inside of my microwave oven. And I literally, I spent the next 20 minutes cleaning out that thing and wiping it out and pulling things, the tray out and different things. And... It was, it was a mess. Um, what, what, what's interesting is the next day I came across a couple websites you know, talking about suggestions for how to get the little bit of mustard out of your bottle. Surprisingly, none of them suggested putting it in the microwave. I don't know why, but uh, they didn't, they said none of them suggested that. Oh, well, you think I would know better, don't you? I would suggest to you this morning that holding on to anxiety and stress is a lot like putting a plastic bottle in a microwave oven. It doesn't do any good. It really doesn't do any good. And it can actually make things worse. It can make things worse, and it can make a pretty big mess out of life. Now, we know that stress and anxiety can be emotionally debilitating, can't it? It really, it, it just, it can paralyze us. It keeps us from doing things. Um, it can, it just affects us um, emotionally. It can adversely affect our relationships, uh, how we treat other people, how we interact with other people. And we know that anxiety and stress can actually cause us physical harm. It can actually kill you um, because of what it can do to our bodies. And if it doesn't kill us, it significantly alters the quality of our life and not for good. There's nothing good about anxiety and stress in our life. Worry and anxiety can rob you of the life that God has for you and keep you focused on the problem instead of on God, the one who can actually solve the problem. So today we're going to continue in our series that's dealing with anxiety and stress that we've called the CALM. And CALM is actually an acronym. And uh, so the, this, each letter stands for a word, and C stands for celebrate. Celebrate God's goodness. And A um, stands for ask for God's help. And L is what we're going to talk about today, this idea of leave your concerns with him. And M is meditate. We're going to talk about that next week. But in all of these, so that's calm. Celebrate, ask 
God for help, leave your concerns with him, and then meditate on his goodness. And all of this comes from a passage that, from Paul's letter to the, Corinth, to, the, to the Christ followers in the city of Philippi. So in Philippians chapter 4, um, and that sections 4 through 8 is the passage that, uh, that we're been, we've been looking at. We're actually going to read verses 4 through 7 here this morning. Um, and actually, can we put it on the screen? Let's, and we actually have, okay, oh we have all, all the verses right here on the screen, so let's read it out loud together, can we? Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for the, the, the power that is in those words from Paul, written 2,000 years ago and still today have such an amazing effect on us. And so, Lord, help us uh, as we unwrap this a, a little bit more to better understand, be able to apply it to our own hearts and to our own lives. Uh, that we might live uh, an anxiety and stress-free life. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, a week ago, uh, Betsy came home and uh, told me that the tire light was on in her car. And um, sure enough, turns out, um, I, you know, I put the donut on, I changed it, and sure enough, she had a little nail in it, and so she had a slow leak. And so I, I took it in the next day on uh, Monday, uh, Monday or Tuesday, I took it in. Uh, we have a local, like a tires place, and uh, just around the corner from us, so I took it in, and I dropped it off, and I left it for them to fix. I didn't stick around and hover over the technician, the man or woman who's actually fixing my tire, to manage their work. I, um, I trusted them to fix it and to do it correctly. Now, I could have waited in the waiting room, you know, but I, in this case, I just I dropped the tire off and I left. Um, imagine what it'd be like if you're one of those, maybe you are one of those technicians. I, I know there's some people that, whether it's tires or home stuff, where you've got the owner who's right there trying to tell you how to do your job, and it's, it's, not, it's not a pleasant experience for anybody but I trust, in this, in this case, I trusted this person that would, they would fix my tire and do it correctly. I would suggest to you this morning that the same is true for God. That we need to leave our concerns with our Heavenly Father. So, in order to help you with that, I want you to repeat after me. I hereby resign from ruler of the universe. <sighs> Feels better, doesn't it? Didn't you just feel that load just kind of come off your shoulders? And it's like, oh, good. Now I don't have to worry about all that. It's, uh, it's no longer my job. Uh, but here's the truth. It was never your job to begin with. It's not your responsibility uh, to control things. And, and we do. We tend to want to control things. Um, and controlling life was never really part of our, your job or my job. And uh, we talked a good bit about this men's breakfast yesterday, just some of the comments, some of the things you guys were sharing, and um, just this whole idea of, you know, at various stages of life, we try to control things. 
And if we can't, that creates anxiety in us. And uh, for me, I like to understand things. That's kind of my thing. And if I can't understand it, I feel stressed about that or anxious about it because it doesn't make sense. And so much of life these days just doesn't make sense. And it's hard to really understand what's going on. But instead of just leaving our problems with God, we either stick around to try and help them, you know, figure it out, or, or we take the problem back altogether. And say, God, you know, you're not doing it the way I want to do it, so let me just take it back and let me try and take care of this myself. Well, Paul, at the end of the, the passage, end of verse 6 of the passage we just read, he, said, he makes this statement. He says, present your requests to God. Now, this word request, it conveys this idea of a list, you know, a list of specific items or terms. Um, uh, so uh, Betsy is known around the office then, you know, where she's feeling a little exasperated about something or just kind of, you know, tired. She'll just kind of verbalize, Lord Jesus, help us all. You know, it's kind of, Lord Jesus, help us all, which, which is a genuine request, and it's actually very true. I mean, we all need his help. Um, but that's not the idea that P- Paul's talking about here. What Paul is talking about here is this, it's very specific desires. Um, it would be something like, you know, Lord, I have this meeting with my boss tomorrow, and um, Lord, you know, I, I kind of get nervous around her, I get tongue-tied, and I don't communicate clearly, and so Lord, help me to think and speak clearly in this meeting tomorrow to be able to present my ideas in a positive way that are helpful. And Lord, prepare her heart to hear what I have to share. Lord, go before me. Help her to be receptive to my thing. That's what Paul's talking about. It's a specific prayer. And there's... there's, um, So then what happens, and when you pray like that, when you're laying in bed at night, and then you start to feel anxious again about your meeting the next day, you can't fall asleep. What you can tell yourself then is like, why am I worrying about this? I left this concern at, at the shop. I left it with God. And my heavenly father is working on it, and he's already preparing things for me before I even get there. And I trust him. And that's what it actually means when we talk about celebrate God's goodness, when we talk about in week one, that's what this is talking about here, that we get to trust that we're joyful, we're happy, we're celebrate, we can be stress-free because we are putting our hope and trust in the creator of the universe. He's already at work on things in our life. This is also what it looks like when you choose to focus on God and not the problem. There's an interesting story in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. And some of you may remember this from your Sunday school days or from your own Bible reading time, but it's, it's a story of, uh, it's actually the story of David and Goliath. <clears throat> but what's happening there in the situation is that it, it, it was common in those days that when two armies were preparing to battle, rather than everyone kill each other and kind of have this drawn out thing, sometimes they would just say, all right, you pick your best guy, we'll pick our best guy, let them fight it out, and whoever wins, wins. Um, and um, so that's what was happening here with the Philistines and the Israelites. <clears throat> And if you remember the story, the Philistines had a guy named, I expected better, more responses. Who was it? Goliath. Thank you. Okay. I was a little nervous. Like, man, we need to go back to Sunday school here for everybody. Um, His name was Goliath. Um, And he was a giant of a man. In fact, they're talking about a giant. So he's huge, a big, and a warrior, just battle-tested. 
Um, just, and the Israelite army was scared spitless. I mean, they, no one wanted to step out and fight him. And so Goliath would come out in the afternoon and challenge them to fight, and Israelites would run up in the hills and hide. And, and so there was a standoff going on here for a while until one day David was sent by his father to take some food to his brothers who were in the army at the time. So David, and we kind of get the idea he's probably a teenager, um, you know, maybe his early 20s, but I'm thinking he's still more of a, of a teenager. And he's hearing all this. He sees what's going on here. And David asks this question, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? I love that. And then we, the story progresses, and David is actually ultimately sent out to face Goliath. <clears throat> and he has his sling, and um, David and Goliath were exchanging, you know, smack back and forth, you know, who's going to beat who. And, and uh, David said to the Philistine, he said, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. I love that. This very day I will give the carcasses of the... I mean, listen to how vivid he is there. I mean, he's, he's, not, he's very animated here. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and to the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those who gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. I mean, David was clearly aware of the physical stature of Goliath. I mean, he knew what he was facing. But what was he focusing on? God. Yes, this is a very real, yes, this guy's huge, and yes, he could do this, but this isn't about him. This is about God. And the Israelite army was focused on the size of the giant. They're focusing on Goliath, but David was focusing on the size of God. And the Israelite army was retreating in anxiety and panic. At the same time, David was running forward towards victory. And what we can see so clearly in this example of David is also true, I think, for you and me, is that whatever you focus on, you magnify and you can either magnify the problem or you can magnify God. You can't magnify both. So, choose to focus on God. When you do, you'll find your level of anxiety and your stress will go down. When you focus on God, you'll also find that anxiety is replaced by gratitude. Choose to live with an attitude of gratitude. <clears throat> You know, the, the widest river in the world is not the Mississippi. It's not the Amazon. It's not the Nile. The widest river in the world is a metaphorical river called If Only. Throngs of people stand on the shores longing to get to the other side. And they're convinced that the If Only river is what separates them from the good life. If only I had more money, then I wouldn't be stressed out. Or if only my kids would listen to me, I could relax. If only I could find more customers, then I'd be all set. Or the opposite is true. If, if I could just lessen my workload, life would be perfect. Or if I could only find the one, then I would be at peace. <clears throat> the if only river. 
Do you find yourself sometimes standing on the shores of the If Only River? And does it sometimes feel as if the good life is just one If Only away? If so, we've identified one of the sources of anxiety in your life. Because in order to get to the other side, we then work harder, we work longer, we take on more debt, we lose sleep, we do all these other things in an attempt to get to the other side of the if-only river so that we can find the good life. But in these verses, Paul is telling us that that won't work. The good life begins not when circumstances change, but when our attitude toward them changes. In verse 6, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. <clears throat> Earlier this week, um, I forget what I was doing, I don't, I, but I was just kind of starting to feel overwhelmed. Well, again, with just different challenges and things happening in my life, uh, family members, and just, you know, the world, and, you know, sometimes just kind of just all of it's, it just feels like it's all there, and um, just kind of feeling that feeling, and, um, but I don't know how it happened, how I got there, but in the midst of this feeling, after a few minutes, I found myself thinking about, reflecting on the good things that were in my life. You know, some of the things, big things, you know. I have a wonderful wife and married, and uh, you know, we have kids, uh, and now two grandkids, and uh, you know, general good health, and you know, just you know, it's really some big things, but even some small things. Um, you know, places I've been, things I've seen, you know, the people I've shared life with, and the feeling of being overwhelmed was replaced by this wave of gratitude. And my heart was so full. What I discovered was that anxiety and gratitude cannot share the same heart. So let me say it again. Anxiety and gratitude can't share the same heart. So the next time you're anxious, here's my suggestion. Make a list. Ten things. Ten things you're thankful for. And focus more on what you do have and less on what you don't have. We can battle anxiety with the power of gratitude. <clears throat> and when you do, you'll find yourself living on the pathway of contentment. Just a few verses later, Paul says this, um, a few verses after what we read here just a minute ago. He says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in, every, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Now remember, Paul was writing this letter from prison. Okay? He knew execution was probably his future. He, and even prior to this, he had lived an incredibly hard life. He actually, one, one of his letters actually recites just some of the things, you know, how many times he'd been beaten, how many times, you know, he'd had been shipwrecked, you know, you know, all these different things that had happened to him in the life he had lived, and it was not an easy life. And yet, he can make this statement, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. <clears throat> 
How is it he could talk about contentment when life had treated him so harshly? You know, it's interesting to note that in this letter to the Philippians, there's 104 verses. In 40 of them, he mentions, the word, he mentions Jesus. So almost 40% of the time, of the verses, he mentions Jesus. For Paul, everything always came back to Jesus. In fact, he even makes a statement, for me, to live as Christ, to die is gain. His only aim was to know Jesus. He wasn't interested in anything else. What Paul realized is also true for us. What you have in Christ is greater than anything you don't have in life. So we need to focus on what we do have more so than what we don't. Discontentment only opens the door for anxiety. With a heart full of gratitude and a soul that's content, it then becomes easy to live a life of worship. There's a fascinating story in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles 20 to be exact. Um, And in this story, the king of Judah at the time was this guy named Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat. Um, And uh, he was was one of the godly kings. You know, there's there's a lot who weren't. And uh, so he was one of the good guys. And uh, what happens in the story is that three of the neighboring armies got together, signed a peace treaty among themselves, and said, let's get Judah. And so they were on their way to attack and invade um, the, 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 uh, Judah, the, the northern tribe of Israel. And uh, so Jehoshaphat hears this, and the very first thing he does, very first thing he does is he calls all his army generals together and says, how are we going to defend ourselves? Actually, no, that's not what he did. Verse 3 in that chapter 20 of 2 Chronicles is alarmed. Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Now, in the following verses, um, Jehoshaphat tells God what's going on. He's describing God. Here's what's happening. And you know this. And all these things are telling him. And then he says in verse 12, Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I love that. It's so honest. God, we don't have a clue. We can't fix this. We need you. And then what's really fun, God responded through the prophet, I forget, I forgot, I forgot to write down his name, but one of the, there was a, a local prophet that God spoke through, and God responded to him, and he says, do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. And so if you're familiar with this story, the next morning, they, uh, they get together, the army gets together, Jehoshaphat does something really interesting. Rather than putting, you know, the tanks in front or the big heavy armor, he puts the choir in front. I mean, how would you like to be a flute player out in front? You know, like, are you kidding me? Um, you know, why am I the first one? Like, you know, put somebody out here with a weapon or something. But, but they put the choir out in front and they sang and they worshiped the Lord on the way to battle. And so when they arrived... 
they kind of, I don't know if they kind of went over a hill and then they're in the valley below them. But what they discovered wasn't three armies ready to, ready to fight them. They found a field of, of just, and it was just covered with dead bodies. The three armies, whatever peace trade they'd signed, they reneged on it and they attacked each other and killed each other. Israel won the battle and didn't even have to raise a weapon. I just think that's an amazing example to us about when we're faced with this unbeatable army, whether it's a report from the doctor or news from a loved one or something else we see, and we don't know what to do, our first response isn't to you know, go on the internet, isn't to look for things, it's to call on God. And our first response is to go to the Heavenly Father in prayer and praise, thanking God for his goodness, confessing to him your fears as you declare his greatness, which is what Jehoshaphat did. Here's what I know. Worship of God, when we do that, it opens the way for God to work. Somewhere, I, I forget the exact reference, but it says God inhabits the praises of his people. When we do that, it just opens and creates an environment for God to work. But also worship will energize your soul. There's something that happens. Again, when we focus on God, he gets bigger and our problems get smaller. But in the context of our series on anxiety, when we worship God, it brings peace in the storms that we're facing. When uh, Here's the thing. When we leave something to be repaired... I know, at a shop or something, we are taking a risk that it will be done correctly. Um, and sometimes it's not. And sometimes we have to take it back and say, hey, this wasn't done correctly and, and we need to do it again. And, you know, that way, if you have a, a, a competent repair person, whether it's a mechanic or something else, if you find somebody who's competent, who is also trustworthy, oh, you're golden. That is, you're all set, because that's half the battle. I need someone I can trust who's not going to try and take advantage of me, of the situation. But I've had people who I, ha- I can trust, but I've discovered they're just not competent. They just don't know what they're taught. They make mistakes, and, it's, and so, when you got both together, oh, it's just such a peace of mind that we can have, just be able to know when I leave it with them, when they say they'll take care of it, I don't ever have to give it a second thought again. What I want to say to you this morning is that when we put our problems in God's hands, he puts peace in our hearts. It's the same thing. We can leave it with him, and he will take care of it for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful that you are a God that we can trust. Father, for there's so much of life that we just don't understand. Uh, We just don't have clues. There's so many giants in our life. Uh, for many of us, Father, there's, there's this giant of um, ill health, whether it's disease, of illness, of some kind of other, something that's not working right. Uh, Father, for some of us, it's this giant of relationships or the lack thereof. Uh, Lord, there's, there's so many that are possible in our lives. And Father, we're here this morning to say first and foremost, first and foremost that we trust you. Uh, Father, we know that sometimes we'd like to hang on to things we want to control. We want answers now. Um, we want them sooner than later. And Father, help us in those moments to, to be at peace, 
and to leave them with you. That we're not trying to come in alongside you and help you, nor are we going to be taking back those things and worrying about them. But Father, emotionally, we can leave them with you and trust you for them. And then, Father, may our experience be like that of Jehoshaphat, where you come in to the situation and say, I say, just watch what I'm going to do. Just sit back and relax and watch because I've got this. Father, what a release, what peace that we can have when we do that and when you step into our life. And So, Father, if there's any here this morning that are struggling in a particular area, Father, may they have the ability to come to you, to be honest with you, to share their heart with you, and then to leave that concern with you, to leave it with you never to pick it up again, but to trust you for the outcome, to trust you for the result until you meet them, Father, in their point of need. So, Father, we thank you. Thank you that you are so trustworthy in every area of our life. And it's because, because of your son, Jesus Christ, that we're able to do this and to have this relationship with you. And it's in his name I pray all these things.